According to Barna, 64% of Christians today think that evangelism is optional. Let's change the stats. Welcome to GoCast, a podcast designed to inspire and equip pastors and leaders to lead soul-winning churches. We have a mission to go and make disciples. This is GoCast. Hey everyone, welcome to GoCast. I'm your host, Kelly Stickle, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Tim Tribble. Tim, today we have Pastor Jonathan Domingo on the program. He pastors Horizonte Church in Ensenada, Mexico. It's an amazing church. I was just yes. down there actually a couple of months ago, um, and it's an amazing, amazing church. Great church, uh, spirit-filled, contemporary church, mm-hmm. uh, le- winning souls like crazy in the thousands. It's uh, I met their staff. It just It's really uh, quite incredible. But what's even more incredible is that Pastor Jonathan, in the last couple of years, went through a personal crisis. Yeah. And uh, one that would have taken most leaders out of ministry um, and and probably out of their career. Yeah. But yet not only did he survive, but the church grew through that whole time. And, wow. and he's back and stronger than ever, and the church is stronger than ever. And it really is uh, remarkable. He's a remarkable man, first of mm-hmm. all, to be able to lead. Through. He's a remarkable leader yeah. to be able to lead through that. He has a remarkable team that was able to, to do that. But it's it's it's. I, it's something that I just I'm just in awe of, and we dig into that conversation a little bit about you know he gets very vulnerable and and open with us in this conversation and talks through that crisis. Yeah. So, have you gone through? I have, but I want to flip this around out just okay. a little bit because every week you ask me a question, and so this time I'm going to turn you on the head. So, oh, oh okay, uh, okay. In regards to personal crisis, you've been leading for a long time. There's no doubt that throughout the time that you've been running, uh, you know, pastoring churches that you haven't had to lead through some kind of difficulty. So can you tell us about a time that you've gone through a personal crisis where you've still had to lead as if, you know, before it came around? Yeah, I think the one that immediately comes to mind would be um, when my mom passed away from from cancer. She had been battling cancer for for some time, but it seemed like, you know, in the, the month or uh, six weeks before she passed away that doctors were encouraged, things seemed to be turning around and, and up on the upswing, and, mm. and it seemed really good, and then all of a sudden she passed away. Now, she passed away on a Sunday morning. Oh, wow. Um, uh, only uh, months after we had just planted our, our church in Okotoks. Actually, it was weeks after, I think it was um, about four or five weeks after we had planted our church in Okotoks. And I was just, you know, hauling in uh, equipment into our garage, uh, which is where we started at the time. That's, that's what church planters do. Yeah. <laughs> and my wife got the call, and and we rushed in and and um, and went through all of that. But in that whole crisis, I mean, going through that personal crisis of losing my mom, and then having to stand up and preach the next week, brand new church plant, and keep the vision going, and doing that, and then to make matters worse, on on top of that. I think it was a matter of six weeks after uh, my mom passed away that we had uh, a nine-year-old girl in our church that got that got hit and and by a, a vehicle and it went through that crisis which we almost lost her and it was a miraculous turnaround. Oh my goodness! And then two months after that, we had an eight-month-old um, baby uh, pass away in a car accident and had to do that funeral. And so those three things back to back, one one is big enough for a church to go through, but this yeah. church, I mean, this was only three, four months just old. Just a baby, yeah. Just a baby church, and we already had gone through um, you know, personal crisis, church crisis, and kind of had to lead the whole thing uh, through that whole thing, and then and then in the process try to heal at the same time right? as as still trying to lead with vision and, and go through that. So yeah, it's it's not the easiest thing, but that's where you rely a lot on team and yeah. a whole lot on God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, it's it's a it's a powerful thing. And and watching what Pastor Jonathan went through and is is amazing. And he went through a, a, a tremendous crisis that again would have upset most churches, upset most leaders, taking them out of of ministry at at all. But maybe you're going through a crisis, or maybe you know someone who has gone through a crisis and and you want to walk, help them walk through this, well, this conversation you're not going to want to miss. So let's go right now to my conversation with Pastor Jonathan Domingo of Horizonte Church in Ensenada, Mexico. Well, hey, Jonathan, welcome to GoCast. So great to see you, my friend. Good to be here, Kelly. How are you doing? Doing great, man. This is going to be, I'm looking forward to this conversation a lot. So for our listeners, tell us a little bit about yourself and in particular, how you got started in ministry. Yeah, so I am a pastor in Mexico. 
northern Mexico in a city called Ensenada. And uh, my father planted the church a little over 20 years ago. And he got really sick about a decade ago, and I took over the church um, about nine years ago. Wow. So um, I'm 30 now, um, which is still relatively. So you, you took over the church when you were 21? I was 21, on, and it was probably top three largest churches in our city. And, um, <laughs> you know, it was insane for sure. Yeah, that is crazy. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah. So, so, you know, the first couple of years were definitely like feeling out, you know, and, and, and the church declined a ton. And, but it was a, a time of reconstruction. And for about five years, the church has just been exploding. Um, probably at our, at our five years ago at our lowest, we were maybe just in attendance. You know, that's one, just one metric, but we were at about maybe 250 um, people. Right. And this last Sunday, we had a record attendance and we had 2,400 people. Wow. Um, that is awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's 10x in, in five years, which is, is, is pretty crazy. That is pretty crazy. Well, that's amazing. So tell us a little bit about the history of the church. I mean, you grew up in the church? Yeah. So um, my dad is a missionary. Yeah. So he's been in Mexico 40 years. So that's why I live in Mexico and speak English. Yeah. Because um, I, I grew up in a bilingual home. And, um, Yes. Yeah, so so my, my dad has worked with Calvary Chapel for these 40 years. So, yeah. so just he, he kind of headed up the, 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 the movement in Mexico and has planted a, a couple of churches. And, um, you know, he, he just kind of had that role of church planting and traveling. And so now he's kind of just more in an oversight kind of discipleship and mentoring role over pastors. And, you know, I've, I've been leading the church for a while now. Wow, that's pretty cool. So the name of the church is Horizonte, and and uh, man, it's it's a, an amazing church. We have a number of our our team that have been at the missions house in the, the Victory Churches has in Ensenada, and they keep on. Everyone kept on coming back and talk, talking to me about you and about how amazing this church is, how amazing this pastor is, and how I have to meet you. And so we were able to finally do that uh, last year, which was which was really really cool. Um, but yeah, that's yeah, a really impressive thing. But I, I mean, t- talk to me a little bit about taking over a church. I mean, at 21, I mean, in, in situations where your dad's health is is declining. So, I mean, you're not feeling ready, I'm sure. And the church wasn't feeling ready. Well, like, what kind of adjustment was that? So, it was a huge adjustment because um, right before I took over, kind of the reason I took over is that my dad had two assistant pastors that both lost on bad terms at the same time. Oh man! Um, it, it kind of all was, you know, happening at the same time. Two pastors leaving on bad terms. My dad's health declining. I was um twenty one. I was twenty when I when I first started as, a, as an assistant pastor, and um, I had gone to Bible college. I had been a missionary for a year in England, so I'd been kind of out of the loop for about two years. Right before I'd left, I was like a skateboarder. It was always dirty and I had no leadership. Um, role at the church. So the people that knew me knew me kind of like as, as, as kind of this skate kid that had nothing to do with church. Right. And so to come back and kind of have a, a leadership role for the people that knew me, it was really, really difficult. So the church is also way more conservative. My, my dad, um, he, he's adapted quite a bit, but uh, I, he would keep, you know, teach full suit time. I remember the first time I taught, I, I used um, Batman the Dark Knight as an example. And he came up to me after, he's like, you know, son, I don't know if you should be using Batman as an example. You know, it's not a Christian movie. And like <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that level of conservative. So did you preach in a suit and tie that first Sunday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, so, so it kind of took me a while too, because you, you, you know me now, I, I preach in, in jeans and t-shirt and, yeah. and, you know, it took me a long time to get to that. Like, I remember when, when I first taught, I was like, my goal is to be able to, to preach in a t-shirt and people not to like freak out. Yeah. And it probably took me like four or five years to get to the point where I was okay with that. Wow. It, it, it was a long transition. So at first I would, I would, I would do full suit. I did, I didn't do a full suit long, maybe a couple of weeks. But then I went to like either um, like full suit without a tie or, um, you know, tie and, and, and shirt, but, but, but no jacket and yeah. kind of transitioning very little bit. So, so the church is probably median age over 60, maybe 65. Right, right. There's only a handful of people under 30. So I knew that if I wasn't really, really intentional, that I would lose the majority of them. And I did anyways. So 
um the church probably was around 500 when i took over yeah and um and um it it didn't it wasn't like a mass exit it was it was slow it was you know every week was a little bit less and a little bit less and a little bit less and it just um it took a long time for us to start building momentum which was fine because i was i was um you know so young and so inexperienced in so many areas that i needed to kind of get that grit and get that determination and learn how to kind of plow through slow seasons and difficult seasons and all that kind of develop my character to be able to um kind of be yeah have the 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 emotional mental capacity to to handle growth because i mean it's a lot easier to handle growth than it is to handle disappointment and failure and so going through that up front really helps you to be able to you know, navigate a growing church. Wow. That, that's amazing. So talk to me about what, what, what was the greatest lesson that you learned in that, in that season? I mean, you grew a church from 500 to 250. So man, that was, that's quite the, that's quite the experience. I mean, you second guess yourself. What did you, I mean, I'm sure you go through all the emotions we all do uh, in, in those kind of seasons. So uh, talk to me about what's the greatest lesson you learned in that time. Man, you know, there, there's so many, so many things that I, I, I could, point out definitely one of them was when i first started i was such an insecure leader Mm. Um, i was i was so worried about what people thought about me about my preaching literally every single sunday attendance and this is kind of funny especially you as a pastor you understand this every single sunday attendance i would gauge i would use to gauge how good my sermon was the week before oh my attendance went up i was like i must have preached a good message if attendance was down i was like i, I suck you know? yeah <laughs> so having that first year the attendance like consistent consistently declining it was this emotional thing where i was like they're leaving because of me they're leaving because i'm not good enough um, wow. and, and maybe so <laughs> but that attitude definitely doesn't help you know and so um just learning to be a secure leader learning to step into your own role and get your own stride and learn your own style and develop yourself and not, you know, when I first started, I would, I would listen to so many sermons. I would listen to 15, 20 of some of the best preachers in the world. Yeah. When you compare yourself to that as a 21 year old with no experience, you're like, there's no way I'm ever going to be that. Yeah. And, um, but then you realize that the, the more practice you get, the more experience you have, um, the more you develop yourself as a person. So I don't know if that's the biggest lesson, but definitely going back to that season, comparing the person I was at 21 to the person I am now at 30, um, just being secure in who I am, being secure in, in that people like me, <laughs> yeah, follow me, are, are happy to have me be their leader. Just understanding that is a huge step, like um, um, leading from a place of confidence and security is just going to all around help the team be a lot healthier and not feel like they're walking on eggshells or feel like they need to, you know, be really careful because, you know, you'll, you'll get crushed if there's confrontation or, you know, right. So definitely one of the biggest assets you can have as a leader, one of the biggest gifts you can give to your leadership team is just is having that confidence and not second guessing yourself and not, not being worried about everybody saying and doing and thinking and, you know, just, that's so good, man. That that's really good, and it's it's uh, it's remarkable. Your story is remarkable, and and the growth is is remarkable. Uh, I mean, it's amazing to see what God is doing. But you're very focused on on reaching the lost, reaching your community, and your, your church is heavily involved in in the community, and and so you're you're focused on salvation. So, t- how many salvations or, or baptisms did Horizonte have in the last year or so? So. We've only had one baptism this year. We're having baptisms at the beach next week. Awesome. So we'll see how, how, how many we have there. We had about 50 the first first time we had baptisms yeah. this year. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say lately we've had on average per year maybe 80 or 100 baptisms. Right, okay. Um, and as far as salvations, um, the way we gauge it isn't by how many people raise their hand um, at the end of, of messages, but rather after every message we redirect them we say if you would like to start a relationship with jesus you could go to the rent tent yeah and we get their all their info and give them a bible we probably give out close to maybe 500 bibles a year wow so so probably about 500 people not just like raising their hand but actually like looking for follow-up 
Well, and they're taking an intentional effort to go and do that. They have to go to a, a, the tent and they have to exactly. talk with somebody. They have to fill out a card in order to do that. So that's that's amazing. And, and you mentioned that, you know, before I started recording the article that, you know, there's 10 salvations a year. If that's people just raising their hand, that's crazy. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So, because yeah, so, so, um, that means if, because not all, all, all preachers do it, but if they're, if they're, you know, giving people an opportunity to respond every single Sunday, that means that one out of every, or rather four out of every five Sundays, nobody raises their hand. <laughs> I know. Isn't that insane? That's, that's Tom Rayner's article where he says that the, the majority of Protestant churches today are averaging 10 salvations or less a year. That's less than one a month. I mean, that is absolutely alarming. And uh, man, we, I mean, that's why we're doing this podcast. We got to change that stat because if the church gets on mission, Man, we could change the world. Yeah, and that—that's one of those things because um, I'm all about you know evangelism and evangelistic events, and um, th- there's a pastor called Greg Laurie who says you need a you need to preach for a verdict. I love that. Yeah, it's so good. You want you want them to have an opportunity to respond, but at the same time, I think a lot of times the goal is how many people responded. But that's that's important. But the question is, how many of those people are getting plugged in, are serving, are growing, are actually becoming, you know, committed Christians as opposed to, you know, having a moment where they they've really felt like they wanted to be Christians and follow Jesus, but but you know, kind of falling by the wayside. And so, um, yeah. So so, so to us, it, it it's like trying to be well rounded. It's not just bringing them in. And it's not just having them respond, but rather, how do we take somebody who has no church background, which obviously our church has evolved. You know, I told you our median age was like 50, like 65. Right now, our church is probably 80% under 30. Wow. So it is an extremely young church. Yeah. And Ensenada has this weird thing where we have a ton. Ensenada is really liberal. It's kind of like... um. It's not a big city, but we have a ton of universities. We have a, a, a ton of scientists. We have more scientists per capita than any city in Latin America. Wow. More universities per capita than any other city in, in Mexico. And so it's young. It's liberal. It's unchurched. It's anti-religion. And so not, not completely as much anti-religion as Latin American can be. Because right. Latin America is a little right. bit more religious than, than you know most countries. So, um, but Ensenada definitely doesn't feel like Latin America, Latin American city in that sense. Just right. so many atheists, so many people that are unchurched or against the church. And so we have a ton of people that it's not like their grandma was a Christian and they have kind of a Christian upbringing, but kind of walked away from church. We have dozens of people that are becoming Christians from absolutely no point of reference towards religion or Christianity that is so good. That's so good. So tell me about one of them. Tell me about somebody in the, that came in the church, no church background, uh, you know, followed, followed the lead, went to the red tent, got the, got the Bible, filled out a card, gave their life to Jesus and man got plugged in and their life has changed. Talk to me about somebody like that. Yeah, so, so, so we have a ton. I'm, I'm going to show two. Yeah. One is uh, a guy who just uh, from school in, in, in um, you know, uh, high school, got invited to the church. He came, not a Christian at all, um, became a Christian, started volunteering, started being developed as a leader, got on staff, became my assistant, kind of started running the church. Um, and, and we have a, a bunch of those situations. Wow. Our women's ministry director, literally not a Christian, started showing up, had marital issues, um, four years ago, not a Christian at all, no Christian background, her husband, no Christian background. And now yeah. they're our, our marriage ministry. Um, so just stories like that all the time. Wow. Another story that is one of my favorites, um, which is usually, um, you know, those stories are from people under 30, but we had a family who's, um, who were older, maybe they're in their fifties. And the, 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 the father who was in his early eighties, his wife of over 50 years passed away. Wow. And wow. he, um, he, they invited him to church because he was really depressed, you know, understandable. Yeah. And he came to church. He became a Christian at 80, maybe 81. <laughs> um, 
I got to baptize him at 83 years old. That is awesome. And when I baptized him, he told me, Jonathan, I've read the Bible my entire life, but only in these last few months have I actually understood it. Wow. And this is the crazy thing. Not only did he get saved, not only did he get baptized, he found another woman in Orizonte and married her. (laughs) Officiate their wedding. That is awesome. And now he's like 85 <laughs> and, is, is, you know, is, is married again and is happy and just full of life. Wow. And it's just one of those things where it's just special. It's special seeing that all the time. Yeah, that is really, really cool. Man, I love those stories. I mean, those stories always remind me like this. That's why we do what we do. That's why we do church the way that we do it mm-hmm. is uh, for life change like that. For example, another person comes to mind who's, who's not a Christian yet. Yeah. But um, she, she, she messaged me. She's like, hey, I'm an atheist. Um, I don't believe in God, but I've been going to church for like, I don't know, maybe she's like two months or three months. And I can't explain it, but every time I go, I just feel so much peace. I love the vibe. I love the people. I, I want to start volunteering, but I just want to know if it's okay for me to volunteer if I don't believe in God. <laughs> <laughs> and that to me was amazing. Yeah, that was awesome. So, you know, that it's like you want to serve a God you don't entirely believe understand that he exists but that's great that's- that is awesome man a story that reminds me of a story i had because uh, i have pastors ask me all the time like would you let somebody volunteer if they're if they're not a, a christian and i was like well yeah i i would i mean they're not going to lead a small group obviously they're not going to disciple anybody but yeah they can definitely sign up and volunteer i had a guy one time a guitar player that that um that you know we didn't have much of worship band in my first church and so I invited him to come out and he started playing guitar for us. He wasn't saved. He came in half the time. He was drunk as all get out. And, and I, you know, one time I had to have him sit down because I was like, hey, yeah, you know, you're a little bit too out of it today to, to be able to do that, play guitar. And I had so much criticism, so many people, you know, after me saying, you can't allow him on the music team because he's not even saved yet. But he ended up giving his heart to the Lord. Well, that was, what, 18 years ago, 19 years ago. He just called me uh, about six months ago eight months ago and he calls me up and and uh, out of the blue hadn't talked to him in years and he's going pastor kelly just i i just had to call and and thank you and i was like man what are you doing like where where are you and he says he says i'm actually living in winnipeg now and i'm a worship leader at a church here in winnipeg and i was like no way that is so cool yeah, i agree a hundred percent with that um you know it's a little bit different but my dad has always told me that if somebody is not volunteering the first week they're a christian it's unlikely they will because that's when they are most excited about their faith. Yeah. And one, if you, if you, if you, you know, if you hinder that, then it's really hard for them to develop that habit later on. That's so true. And two, if they're not motivated enough to serve when everything is so fresh and exciting, yeah, it's going to be hard for them to get you. So, so I know that's a little bit different, but we're all about getting people plugged in as fast as possible. That is so good. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. So what, what's been your most effective strategy as a church for winning souls? Great question, because we do a lot. We do do evangelistic events. Yeah. We do do um, like small groups in the community where, you know, we invite people to invite their, you know, non-Christian friends and relatives. And, and we, we do do like medical outreaches and we do work with the homeless um, we were just talking before going live about, you know, we work with um, victims of sex trafficking. Yeah. So we do a lot of stuff in the community. I would say the reason we've grown so much and the reason so many people have become Christians, and this might sound carnal or wrong, is that people love coming to church. Yeah. People are excited about church and, and, and people are inviting other people to church. Yeah. And for example, um, my barber, um, not a Christian. They they, they were listening to to music, um, in in, in the, the barber shop, and um, the, the he knew he was a pastor, and he told me, you know what, I would really like to listen to like Christian music because I get really stressed, and I I, I think it would help calm me down. Huh. So I was like, dude, let's put it on right now. And so I, I we have a church band, and we put on the church band. He's like, that's your guys' church band? Yeah, yeah. It's like, I want to go to that church. And so literally that was like a year ago and he's been coming to our church. He's a Christian now and his girlfriend's coming and, and you know, it's, it's, um, he loves it. And, um, I, I I was doing jujitsu for a couple months. Yeah. And, um, and, um, 
And somebody came up to me and they're like, you're the pastor of Orisonte? And I was like, yeah. And they said this, like, this is really funny. They're like, they told me that church has a better vibe than any club in town. Ah, that is awesome. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> this is a non-Christian who knows nothing about Yeah, He knows yeah. this is an amazing place to be. Yeah. That's why we're getting atheists. And that's why we're getting unchurched people. Because they're, they're just trying to figure out what the heck's going on on yeah. Saturday night or a Sunday morning, you know, downtown Ensenada. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, our, you know, we, we have roots in, in, in the Jesus movement, Calvary Chapel. And I think that's what it was, too. Like, people just couldn't believe yeah. so many young people so excited about their faith, so excited about Jesus. Yeah. It's contagious. Um, I would say the most effective way of evangelism is just having people that love Jesus that are extremely excited about church and when people go to that they want to be a part of that yeah that is really really cool now I, I, what are, let's 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 have the play the devil's advocate a little bit you get the pastor listening or, or a leader that's listening and saying okay well if you got i mean if you got a vibe and someone's saying the vibe there is better than any club in town what are you compromising in order to make it you know are you so focused are you so seeker sensitive that you've had to compromise in some way yeah so whenever Anybody says, hey, you know, or something is compromising on the truth or, you know, they, they're using carnal methods to attract people. It's I, I want them to listen to a, a message because yeah. like we, we don't back down from sharing what the Bible says. And I think it's a misconception that either you're like really focused on the Bible and you put no emphasis on production and excellence. Right. And, um, you know, all that, or you put all your focus on production and um, quality and leave out the Bible, but it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, you, you teach through the Bible systematically as well, right? I mean, like verse by verse. And it, yeah, so, so not a lot of people do that. And we literally just spent, finished about two weeks ago, we spent a year and a half doing Mark. Wow. Verse by verse. Yeah. Um. And I don't know a lot of conservative churches that would do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and literally, like, we spent two, like, two full months on the Passion of Christ. Wow. And, and the, the, it's beautiful, obviously. It's crucifixion. It's yeah. the crux of what we believe. But it's, it's hard things to teach because it's Jesus' betrayal. It's Jesus' loneliness. It's yeah. suffering and death. And it's not like, hey, these are really uplifting, you know? Yeah, yeah really easy to process motivational speeches. No, these are really, really intense messages about really deep, profound things. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I'm, I'm not overly concerned with, um, with convincing people that we're a biblical church. Right. That's good. That's, that's not at the forefront of my mind. I have, um, you know, I'm to me, you know, this is the focus of the conversation. The question is, are people meeting Jesus? Are people being transformed? Yeah. Are people growing in, in their faith? Yeah. What are other people, what's other people's opinions of us? And that kind of goes back to what we were talking about being, you know, just secure in what you're doing. And, and you know, we just had a situation, I'm talking about like a week ago, where we had like three people that were well-respected in our church and have been here for a while that left and hmm. didn't leave on bad terms. They, 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 you know, they were they were grateful, and they let us know, and then they, um, they let us know what church they're going to, and you know, they didn't leave on bad terms. Yeah. The reason they left was because there's a guy in our church who's a volunteer, who has been a volunteer for a couple of years, but recently, over the last couple of months, has been having issues with his identity. Um, he feels like um, he's a man trapped in a woman's body. Hmm. He's got all these questions, and and um, he considered himself a Christian. He isn't looking to start a, a homosexual relationship. He's just he's just trying to sort things out in his mind. Yeah, and he's still he's still volunteering. And you know these people that left told us, hey, you you can't be struggling with that and be a volunteer. And so mm. it was a, a decision that literally I, they, they 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 set up like a formal appointment with me to be like, hey, this is really important to us that he yeah. be a volunteer. And I said, I, I'm sorry, but. I'm not going to ask this guy to stop serving because he's confused and is trying to figure things out. Yeah. Um, that's good. And, um, and so they left. Wow. And like I said, they didn't leave, leave angry. They didn't leave upset, but they left. Yeah. And, um, I think, a I think the easiest thing would have been, well, let's just talk to the guy and tell him he can't serve until he figures 
you know, his, his issues out. But, you know, our, our attitude has always been, how do we help the hurting at all costs? And it's not, how do we not ruffle feathers? How do we not offend people that have been Christians for a long time? Um, that is so good. It, it's a hard decision to make because um, it's a lot easier to focus on growing and maturing Christians yeah. than people that are full of issues and, you know, figuring things out because that gets really messy. Yeah, it's true. I, but I mean, that that's following the model of Jesus. Jesus got questioned often by by the religious it wasn't it wasn't the unchurched that would challenge him it was the religious that would challenge him it's not the unchurched that are challenging you it's the churched and and those who've been in church for a long time who wrestle with these things and where's the line and where's not the line but it's really it's really about a focus whatever you do people will criticize you yeah absolutely hbo just put out a, a special on um conversion tactics for homosexuals and they use a clip from one of my messages where I just state um, what I said was the New, the New Testament emphasizes that sex between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. Is a yeah, yeah. That's, they took that clip and completely out of context, the entire message was about us loving the gay community and us not being against them and that God loves them. <laughs> and that was the entire message. But they took that clip and literally it's HBO. It's got hundreds of thousands of views on YouTube. Who knows how many views yeah. live on TV. And um, and it's like, well, you know, we're trying to, <laughs> as possible. But, but even then, you know, you just you're just kind of stuck in the middle. Wow, wow, and that's that's crazy how yeah how media does that, how people perceive that. But it's interesting that it's it's not the unchurched that are are challenging a lot of those. I mean, if you're focusing on the hurting and the lost and 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 doing that, it's not the unchurched that are challenging that. It's the church. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, you're you're very passionate. I mean, you're part of a, a denomination. You're part of, of Calvary Chapel and that whole organization. But you're very passionate about not being trapped by by labels, whether it's a denominational la- label or whether it's a style label. So, I mean, talk to me about that. Talk to me about that passion. And you know, um, Calvary Chapel is my heritage. Yeah, my family is my upbringing. But at the same time, most of my friends are neo Pentecostals. Right. Um. I don't know what, what, what you guys would consider yourselves, but, you know, kind of Hillsong type. Um, yeah, heard. Yes, yeah, similar, yeah. And, and I love them to death, and I learn and grow so much mm. in my relationship with them. I also have friends that are on the other spectrum, more Reformed, more the Gospel Coalition-esque yeah. kind of people. Yeah. I love them to death, too. Yeah. And so here's the thing. So many people really want to be part of a tribe. Yeah, and once you become part of a tribe, it becomes, you know, convincing people how into the tribe you are. Yeah. So let's just say Calvinism. Yeah. You know, sometimes I feel like with people that consider themselves Calvinists, it's a competition to see who's the most Calvinist. (laughs) And are are you a four point or five point? Yeah. Seven point. They're like making up points. Yeah, that's true. It's because, because they want to convince their tribe how deep they are in, yeah. into that subset of, of, of doctrine. Yeah. Um, and that's really dangerous because the more you do that, the more you exclude other movements that are Christians. Mm-hmm. Even within the, the movement that I, I, I participate, participate in part of is guilty of that same kind of, oh, we do this this way and we don't really do, you know, consider what other people are doing. And that that's not... The way I look at it is the body of Christ is huge. Yeah. And a lot of people focus on, let's say, if if, um, if the body of Christ is, is all, you know, denominations, all that, we might be part of a fingernail. Yeah. And that's our, our movement and our denomination. Yeah, yeah. And some people might be like, well, I'm going to venture out. I'm going to I'm going to have friends that are part of the finger. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to go all the way to the forearm. Yeah, but the reality is that there's people that are so different mm. from us, mm-hmm. absolutely night and day different. They still hold to the core beliefs of Christianity, yeah. and there's still our Christian brothers and sisters. Yeah, and so I don't know. I've always had this conviction from maybe six or seven years ago. I, at the beginning, I was really passionate about a few core things that you know kind of made me be a little bit you know tribalistic. Um, but but about something happened like six seven years ago that I realized I want to be a bridge builder wow, that's good work with as many people that will want to work with me yeah i don't want to be known as 
um, you know, the expositional teaching guy and only hangs out with people that teach verse by verse. And I don't yeah. want to be known as the guy who, who is anti, you know, reformed or anti-Baptist or anti, you know, that's, that's not what God has called me to. Yeah. Um, and so part of that is not having these strict labels. Like I said, I love being part of a Calvary Temple, but even then I'm, it's not like a, this banner that, you know, the first thing I say, hi, I'm a Calvary Chapel pastor. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's, um, you know, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus. And that's, I want to hang out with other people that are Christians and love Jesus, you know? That's awesome. I really admire that. That, that is, that is, uh, that is amazing and it's refreshing. And I, I think uh, it's, it's really how I see the global church moving, right? I mean, the labels used to be, I think, a much bigger deal than they are now. And I think it's, it's more about the big C church than it is about our labels. And I think that's really good. I think that's really healthy. Yeah, I agree. That's awesome. So, um, you've recently been through a, a very trying time going through it, r- wrestling through it that would have taken most pastors and, and leaders out, man, but yet you're still here, still going strong, holding records, Sunday attendance and all the rest of it. So man, t- talk to me about what's, what's, uh, what's kept you going. So obviously, um, I'm assuming people in, in the States and Canada are hearing this and they probably have no idea about our church and, uh, um, but um, so our, our church is a, is a pretty influential church in yeah. Mexico. It's um, pretty large. And so um, my wife um, left me for another guy about uh, almost a year ago. Yeah. And so I took four months off, tried, tried to kind of um, reconcile. She really um, went in a different direction. Yeah. And so it left all of us in shock. Yeah. Um, so how did we do it to grow by probably about 400 people since that happened? Wow. Amazing. I have no idea. One, we have amazing leaders that really, you know, kept plowing forward. Yeah. But it's just been God being so gracious. Um, That's amazing. You know, it, it, it's, it's a difficult thing to process. Yeah. And um, in, in Latin America, you know, churches tend to be more conservative than in, in the States or in Canada. And I've seen churches literally split over, you know, oh, you know, they, they caught the kids pastor like smoking weed. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. It devastates the church. Yeah. Now, something is, is as intense as the lead pastor's marriage falling apart. Yeah. Like you said, that would take out most pastors and that would take out most churches. It would. It's true. Um, and not only have we like held on, we're continuing to take ground. Yeah. And we're one church, four locations, 10 services. Next year we're, we're opening three more locations. Amazing. Um, we're, we're trucking, we're trucking. Yeah. I think when I came back, um, told the church, um, one, if you don't want to be part of Horizonte because it, 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 it's personally difficult to be in a church that has a pastor that's been through a divorce, I get that. Yeah. Because, because that's not easy. And it's not easy explaining that to your neighbors. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this guy's talking about how to do marriage the right way. You know, well, that. but that's, that's difficult for, for the religious and for the Christians, right? But for, for the unchurched in many ways, I think, for them, it's like, well, he's human too, so I feel more comfortable. He's been through some stuff too, and that's what I, what I told him. I was like, some of you will feel uncomfortable with a pastor who's divorced, but I know some people that will see their neighbor going through divorce and be like, I need to take him to church because my pastor gets them. Yeah, you know, and when you see people hurting, I know my pastor gets that pain. Yeah, and um, it it, it just brought a death to our church um that it, it has been remarkable it's been absolutely remarkable it's it's amazing i mean it really is uh, amazing and and uh you know i think uh to, to go through that but i mean and for the church to go through that is you know it does really point towards the strength of your your team your leaders you as a leader as well what, what has kept you going i mean this is i mean this is personally devastating this is extremely stressful and you've got children in the middle of this whole thing. I mean, there's, 
there's a lot going on. What, what has kept you going? That's a phenomenal question. One, I think my personality is I'm really, really driven. Yeah. And so it kind of helps even, even in the hardship, just continue to have vision and dream and see God work. It, it helps. It yeah. Helps because from day one, I had this really deep conviction that loathing is not going to help me. Mm. Um, and so from day one, I've been, I've, for about three years, I've been really um, into working out and eating healthy. And it's like, I'm, I'm not going to let this bury me. Yeah. So I'm going to be the healthiest version of myself I can be. Yeah. And so I started going to therapy. That's been phenomenal. Um, I think there's a stigma against therapy yeah. in the church. Um, no, it's good for you, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. And I think even people that aren't going through devastating moments should consider therapy. Because yeah. It's really helpful just understanding my emotions and my mind and just becoming a, a healthier person emotionally. It's been phenomenal. Um, surrounding myself with phenomenal friends. Um, yeah. Um, and, and in all honesty, I, I talked to a pastor who had the same thing happen to him. Mm. And, um, and I, I, you know, it happened about two years ago or a little bit more. I kind of jokingly said, Hey, so have you been seeing anybody? Have you gone out? And he said, I will never be able to trust a woman again. Wow. And I was like, man, that, that is so sad. Yeah. Um, when I, I get the hurt and I get the pain, I get the betrayal. Yeah. But to, to kind of be bitter at half of the world. Yeah. Over what one person said or did or hurt you, and yeah, um, it 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 showed me that there's people that go through something like this and are absolutely rocked, and and it, it's really hard for them to function normally. Yeah, well, I would say the majority of people that are go through half of what you've gone through get taken out by less. So, I mean. Kudos to you and what you're doing. It's been it's been remarkable to to watch you go through this and process this. I mean, and pour into your kids, you know, fight for your marriage when you could, and then and then focus on on what you need to focus on when you need to focus on. So, I mean, it's really been quite amazing with, uh, to to watch. And I mean, you're I admire you greatly. I just got to say that as blown away as the next guy because yeah. um, I feel really good. I feel really strong, and that doesn't mean that there aren't bouts of loneliness. I, I got really sick last week, and um, I remember taking the kids to my ex-wife's house, dropping them off, driving back to a house by myself, and just being so sick. Mm. And and that sucks. Like being sick sucks. Being alone sucks. Not having your kids sucks. Um, not having any strength to like call somebody and go out and just being there. That sucks. Yeah. So what, what I'm getting at is it's not that it's easy and it's not that it, there aren't moments of like loneliness or, or doubt or frustration or even anger. Mm. It's all in all. Um, I, I grew up skateboarding. I think I mentioned that. Yeah. And when you skateboard, it's different than other sports because you can spend one hour to do one trick. And you you can try it fifty times, and one of the most um one of the things that skateboarders admire the most is when somebody absolutely you know wrecks himself yeah and gets up and keeps trying yeah and because of being part of that community it, it really feels like that there's there's something about like literally getting shattered and then standing right back up to your feet and saying. Well, I hope that never happens again. <laughs> yeah. And continue to push forward. Wow. Man, that's that's so uh, so amazing. So, what would you say to a pastor or leader right now who may be listening to this, watching this, who's facing a personal crisis and uh, and are tempted to quit? What would you what would you say to them? So, I would say that the biggest things that have kept me going, and maybe this is a more clear answer to your first question, is one, my faith in Jesus. So yeah. never, never allow that to, to become, you know, second priority. But I know it sounds super basic, but reading your Bible, praying, loving church, loving Jesus, learning, yeah, all that. Two, um, your family. Yeah. So in my case, my kids and my parents and my sister have, have, have all 
you know, had such a deep connection with you. My therapist said that when you get married, the, the same part of your of, of your affection that used to go to your parents goes to your spouse. Right. It just evolves. When you go through a divorce, you have that love and you can redirect it once again to your parents, right. family. And um and I was like, that's so true. So so just being able to confide in those people that love you most. Yeah. So um so, you know, a pastor just committed suicide recently, um, yeah. Jared Wilson. Yeah. It was devastating. And there's nothing you can say that could be like, oh, well, he should have been this because you just don't know his situation. Yeah. But one of my hopes is that um, that there would be people that you know would give their life for you and that you can confide in them. Yeah. Usually that they're in family. And usually it's not easy relationships. And you're like, yeah, well, I fight with my mom all the time or I, I, I struggle with my siblings all the time. But even if you struggle with them, usually there are people that that if they need you're in a crisis would do whatever they could to help you. Right. I just I just spoke with a guy yesterday who said who's suicidal and depressed. I said, "Who have you talked to?" He's like, nobody. Mm. You need to talk. And he's like, "But I feel like if if I start telling people, world word will come around to my parents." Oh wow. And he's like mortified that his parents find out he's that depressed. Wow. And I told him, well, then you should start with your parents. Yeah, exactly. Get that out of the way. You yeah. Know? And, and, and they love you and they're going to care for you and they're going to help you. But there's just this weird thing where, oh, I don't want my family to know because I don't wow. want to worry for me. And, you know, once again, I probably shouldn't have mentioned Jared Wilson because I have no idea what he was going through. But yeah. In general, when people are depressed and going through really hard times, that's the time to dig into those relationships. Yeah. So true. your faith, your family, your friends. Like, yeah. Um, the last couple of weeks have been difficult and literally almost every day I've had, I've texted somebody like, dude, I don't want to be alone tonight. You want to come over we'll watch a movie and just, yeah. you know, and then just having that. And I know not everybody has that, but the reason I have it is because I was intentional about seeking them out before the crisis. Right. You no, know, and they, they were already my friends. Um, so, so it's your faith, it's your family, it's your friends and it's your fun. Yeah. It's learning to disconnect. It's learning to have, 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 um, things that you can do that get your mind off all the tension. Um, and I know that one doesn't sound very spiritual, but having a healthy body is, it is, is really, really important to longevity. Yeah, that's so true. And yeah, it is. I mean, Paul mentioned it, so it is spiritual. <laughs> he, he's, he talked about health quite a bit actually, which is amazing, man. This has been so good. Thank you so much for, for sharing with us. And, and, uh, really, I, I mean, I say it from the bottom of my heart, I admire you so much. And, and, uh, as a leader, as a pastor, as, as a man, as, a, as a father, uh, you're, you're just, uh, you're an inspiration and, uh, it's been, uh, you know, I, I look up to you a lot. So I, I, is there anything, this has been so good. Is there anything that I, I should have asked, but didn't I think it was a great conversation. It was a little bit longer than we were expecting. I think it was about an hour, which is great. It yeah. flowed really, really fast. So, yeah, no, it's yeah. been it's been awesome, man. So, thanks so much. We're I, I don't know if there's there's a pastor or leader out there is listening to this and saying, man, I, I want to know more about Jonathan and Horizonte Church. Where can they connect with you online? So probably the easiest would be Instagram. So just um at Jonathan Domingo. Yeah, and everything's in Spanish, but um. <coughs> And Instagram has a little translate button at the bottom. Yeah. So did you know that? Did you? I, I, I translate your, uh, your Instagram all the time. <laughs> so, so, so that's one way to, to get over the language barrier. So, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, you know, before we went live, you were talking about me possibly coming down. I hope you can. I'd love to connect personally to you out to get some good tacos. Yeah, absolutely. I keep on hearing about those tacos. So got to come there. Sure. That is awesome, man. Right. Thanks so much, Jonathan. This has been awesome. God bless you, my friend. Yeah, bless you too. What an amazing conversation with Pastor Jonathan Domingo. Uh, I think you you see what kind of what I mean by oh, what kind of guy he is. Guy. He's yeah. an incredible, uh, incredible leader, incredible guy. Uh, what was your takeaway from the conversation? I love how he said, you know, you need to lead from a place and and honestly bleed from a place of confidence and security. And the greatest gift that you can give your team is your self confidence. Wow, that's so good. I think I think the most dangerous thing on the planet is an insecure leader. Absolutely. I think insecurity. We all have insecurities. Let's just be honest. We we all battle insecurities. We all go through it. But but when it, we become so insecure and we don't lead from a place of self confidence, it's so true. It it uh, creates chaos around mm-hmm. us. And 
And uh, yeah, so I, I love that comment as well. There's so much in that conversation. <laughs> My goodness, so much yeah. depth there. I think it'd be worth uh, a re-listen yeah. um, for all of us. But man, these are, again, great conversations, great pastors, great leaders. How does somebody subscribe to GoCast? For sure. In the, type in the, in the search bar on Apple Podcasts, or you can hit us up on Spotify and YouTube as well. And just search GoCast. And we'd really love you to join the conversation with us on GoCast and soul winning churches and pastoring and leading through crisis and add your story to the conversation. We'd love that. So if you could join us on social media, on Facebook or on Instagram, we would love to connect with you and you to connect with us and get in our world and us into your world. We would love it. Uh, so please do that. Next week, we have a great conversation with my friend, Pastor Justin Jenkins. He's an amazing leader. So let's go to an excerpt from his conversation next week. We exist for the people that aren't here yet. There's lots of things that we do naturally that we don't even think about. So church, if we're honest, I mean, I'm, I love the church. I'm a fan of the church. But from the outsider perspective coming in, there's some things that are kind of weird sometimes. And uh, we tried to be real intentional. What are the things that we that we were going to do? What are the things that we were not going to do? Some of them is language. We tried to be crystal clear mm. the things we said. Is this churchy language? Is this insider language? Is this Christianese? Wow. And even if you um, think you're pretty much uh, on it still, the truth is, if you're a part of the church, it's so easy to pick up these phrases that just do not translate to somebody who has never been in church. Yeah, that's true. So so language, language was a big one. Um, explaining. Can't wait to get into more with Pastor Justin Jenkins of Velocity Church in Lawrence, Kansas. That's going to be next week. Thanks again for joining us at GoCast. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of GoCast. We hope you feel inspired and better equipped to take your community for Christ. Make sure to subscribe to receive each new episode as it's released. Let's go and break the stat together.